Welcome back to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 204. Today we take up our discussion of the book of Romans again, and we are back in chapter 8, Romans 8. We're going to start with verse 18. Uh, The last episode we talked about what it was to be children and heirs of God, because we are the children of God. And so Paul continues that discussion. We are the children of God and will be glorified with him. That thought of our ultimate glorification with him then continues in this sentence in chapter in verse 18. <clears throat> For I consider in light of the fact that we will be glorified with Christ. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, the entire creation, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the entire creation has been groaning as one in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I think we'll stop at verse 25. The subject kind of changes there with 26. We'll take that up next time. Let's talk about this, this groaning. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's obviously talking about heaven. He's talking about the next life. And, and it's easy to, to stay in that vein, but he goes from there and he drops back into this present reality. So what we have to deal with now is not worth comparing to what we will one day inherit as the heirs of Christ, with Christ, right? But right now, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Until people could be redeemed, creation could not be redeemed. Creation was subjected to sin because the people sinned. And because people sinned, all of creation suffered. All of it lost its luster. All of it lost its place that it should have had. It lost the goodness that it should have had because man and women sinned. 
mankind sinned and cost not only his own station with God, but all of creation's place with God. Now, with the redemption of mankind, there's hope for all of creation. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, because creation doesn't have a will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Wow. Do you understand what he just said? Creation was subjected, not by its own will, but by God's will. In the hope, in the hope, verse 20, and then into 21, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In the hope that your redemption and mine could be so profound as to bring all of creation with us. That's what it says. In the hope Whose hope? God's hope. Wait, God hopes? Well, apparently so. Intention is probably a better word there. That it was God's intention that through the redemption of his people, all of creation, which had suffered because of the people's sin, could be released of that burden as the people came to redemption, to the forgiveness, to the eradication of that sin burden. And the more the people were unburdened of that sin, the more creation would also be unburdened of that sin. So practically, you and I can look at the world today and we can see that where people know Jesus Christ everything in their life, everything associated with them suffers less. Their spouses suffer less. Their families suffer less. Their co-workers suffer less. Their pets suffer less. Their extended family suffers less. Their friends suffer less. They are kinder to the world. They are more in touch with what God is doing in all of creation And so all of creation suffers less once that person is redeemed. Magnify that times every person who's saved on the face of the planet. And you begin to see that creation gets unburdened of the sin that those people have been carrying around. Look at the flip side. Look at how people who are lost in sin treat the world. They use it to make money. They use it as political fodder. They trash it because they're entitled to do so. I've got every bit as much right as he does. That's not a Christian perspective. That's a worldly sinful perspective. I get what's mine and the rest of the world can pay the penalty, can pay the cost. I deserve 
to be happy. I deserve to get what's coming to me. From a Christian perspective, that's a really dangerous mindset, right? Because you might well get what you deserve. And that won't work out well for you. But you see, a Christian is unburdened of guilt and shame and sin. And so is free to unburden the people and the creation around themselves with the same grace that they have experienced themselves. That's what the Bible says. With the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You can read that verse about 50 times and it only gets better. Will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You and I are called to live in freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt, freedom from judgment, freedom from fear. And that freedom, that salvation should so permeate our lives that it leaks out to everything and everyone around us, other people, other beasts, other situations begin to become unburdened because we are free. For we know, Paul says, goes back now to the groaning, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning as one. Every element of creation has been groaning in unison in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Not that I get pie in the sky and the sweet by and by after I die. Write a song out of that mess. Not that this is one day coming but it's coming now in this mortal life, in this fleshly life, in this temporal world, while I am still in this body. I have the first fruits of the Spirit. I have the deposit of Christ's Spirit within me. And the assurance that if I'm born again into Christ, that the same power that raised him from the dead will not only raise me on that day, but will, as he said in the last couple of paragraphs, sanctify, make holy my earthly body, redeem my earthly body. I'm not flesh and spirit in this duality that my spirit is good and my flesh is bad. Christ didn't die to redeem my spirit and leave my flesh in the dirt. He died to redeem my whole person, body, mind, and spirit so that my thoughts become captive to him, so that my fleshly actions are captive to Christ Jesus' spirit, so that my soul lives in the freedom that he purchased on the cross. He died to redeem my whole person, to adopt me entirely. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit 
groan inwardly as we wait with anticipation for our adoption as God's sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen isn't hope anymore. For who hopes for what he can see? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it with patience. This this strange mix in the kingdom of God of the now and the not yet, of the already happened and hasn't happened yet. Am I entirely saved? Yes. Yes, when I came to Jesus Christ, he entirely saved me, body, mind, and spirit. My soul is free. I am redeemed. I am saved. I am as much a child of heaven on that day as I will be a thousand years from now. But have I seen heaven yet? Well, no, I'm still living in this wretched world. I still live amongst all this junk, all this crime, all this dishonesty, all this politics, all this war, all this corruption. It, it, this is the Christmas season where I am, and and in, in the Christmas season, I feel it more than ever. The contrast between that manger and the cross, the contrast between a few worshiping shepherds by the light of a little oil lamp touching his tiny little baby face with hands so rough they can't even feel his skin marveling that this could be the Son of God. Contrasted with a crowd screaming, crucify, crucify. It's that, it's that polar pull. The good, the bad, the black, the white, the now and the not yet. Am I a citizen of heaven? Yes and amen. Do I even have a clue of how great that's going to be? Nope, not yet. Not yet. I am a citizen of a place I've never seen. I am a citizen of a place I have yet to set foot in. I am headed there, but there's more ahead. Christ has accomplished in me everything that he can accomplish. He gave his life. He died. There's nothing more he can do. He's done everything he can for me. But that doesn't mean my life is over. It doesn't mean my experiences are over. It doesn't mean my trials are over. It doesn't mean my walk through this world is over. I have more to do. I have more to see. I have more to love. I have more to accomplish. I have more to bring with me on this road to heaven. I'm there in my spirit. I'm there as far as God is concerned. But I'm not there yet. I'm adopted. I've been adopted. I'm just not yet home. I'm as much a son of God as I'm ever going to be. I'm just not standing in the dining room with him yet. That day's coming. You see, the entire Bible 
is this tension between the now and the not yet. Between all that God's accomplished and the fact that some still remains. It's what gives prophecy its great attractive nature. It's what gives it the the power that it has in our spirits, in our minds. That, That there are still things to be foretold. There are still things coming. And as prophecy has been fulfilled in the past, in my book I talk about event curve. The fact that every prophecy in the Bible has been fulfilled at least once, they they all speak to things that have already happened, and yet they are fulfilled again and again and again because prophecy runs through history like a straight laser line, and history cycles in a circle, in 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 a spiral around it, And every time the spiral comes back across the line of prophecy, because it's truth, that prophecy applies again to something that's happening in the scope of history in that moment. And people always say, wow, prophecy is being fulfilled. Yes, yes it is, again. And hang on to your hats. It will be again. And again and again. And different prophecies are going to apply to different times repeatedly in history. So that prophecy doesn't pass. It doesn't become old hat. To say that prophecy has already been fulfilled doesn't mean the prophecy is done. That prophecy will come around again. Because history will intersect with it again. My life is settled in Christ. I am going to heaven. But I am not there yet, and I am not done here. And my salvation experience, that crisis of of conscience that brought me to consider Christ as Lord and Savior of my life and invite him in, that moment is going to come to bear repeatedly in my life in a real way. There will be times that I will revisit that moment for assurance, for guidance, for affirmation of who I am. The moment that I was called to pastoral ministry, I've revisited that moment a hundred times in my life for assurance, for direction, for affirmation, for definition, for clarity. There are different moments in my experience with God that are, they're like anchors in the, in the sweep of history. In the tides of time and events, those anchors are places I hang on to. And I go back to and I say, I remember that day at that place when God and I did business over this issue and it was settled. And it remains settled to this day. The anchor holds in spite of the storm, to quote an old song. The anchor holds. Does that mean the storm will will be less? It does not. Does that mean the challenges won't be great in my life? It does not. Does it mean that it's a cakewalk once I know Jesus from here to heaven? No, it does not. 
and it is not. And if anybody tells you that once you're a Christian, it's all roses and and flowers and easy, they're lying to you. Once you're a Christian, the enemy of your soul has a target, has a purpose to take you out. Your life will in some ways get much harder once you walk with Christ. Once you experience freedom, you're a threat to the enemy of your soul. And there are there are times that your life is going to be hanging on to the anchor and being reminded and assured and affirmed and encouraged and focused on the mission that you took on on the day that you came to know Jesus Christ. That's why hope is so important. You haven't seen it all yet. You haven't realized all of it yet. You're not yet there. And you're going to need that hope to get you through the things you have to face before you get there. Remember, if you'd already seen it, it wouldn't be hope. Live in that hope.